This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored by Anchorlight. For more information about their programs and residencies, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. Just a heads up that today's episode contains some information about sexuality. So listeners, please be aware. By now, the idea of the frenemy, I think, is pretty well established in our culture. We have these images of people who are wonderfully close to us, incredible friends and lovers, but then they are also our worst enemies as well. When you're in a close and intimate relationship, you get the benefit of seeing the best of someone and also the worst. So what happens when you are in a relationship with someone who is your very best friend and supporter, but also might not be the best person for you to be around all the time? Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. In season 11 of Art Curious, we're highlighting the lives and works of the women who supported some of the world's great artists. Today, we are getting to know Gala Dali, the notorious wife, muse, and unflappable supporter of the most iconic surrealist in history. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. Now, I must confess that prepping this episode of the podcast was an eye-opening experience for me, simply because I really didn't know anything about Gala Dali. And in some ways, she is still enigmatic. And that was part of what made Gala so enticing, what drew people to her side again and again. She was secretive, distant, mysterious, for the sake of mystery. It was hard to know her intentions and her reasons, and thus, hard to really get to know who Gala Dali was. Gala wasn't her real name, by the way. Her given name was Elena, which is sometimes listed as Helena or Helena, Ivanovna Diakonova. She was born in 1894 in Kazan, Russia, as the third of four children of Ivan and Antonien Diakonova. Elena, our proto-Gala, grew up in Moscow with good opportunities and a fine education. After her father Ivan's death when Elena was 11, her mother remarried, and it was Elena's stepfather, a well-established lawyer, who paved the way for Gala's future. With his connections, she was able to secure a spot at the Brunkonenko Female Institute of Moscow before moving on to university-level coursework at a finishing school in St. Petersburg. She trained, as many women do and did at that time, to be a teacher, and she had every intention of being one, except that something got in her way. Tuberculosis, often called consumption, 
Tuberculosis affected Elena's lungs, causing her to cough constantly and to lose an incredible amount of weight. Distressed, her family sent her to a sanatorium, a health spa, really, near Davos, Switzerland, in 1912, when Elena was 17 years old. The hope was that she would improve thanks to the salubrious waters and the air of the Alps. And the good news is that it worked. After a nearly two-year stay, Elena was discharged with a clean bill of health. And a new fiancé. But it wasn't Salvador Dali. At least, not yet. While at the sanatorium in Switzerland, Elena met Eugène Grindel, a young Frenchman about her same age who was also seeking tuberculosis treatment. Eugène and Elena bonded immediately, and they were drawn to each other's passion for literature, with Eugène especially expressing his desire to become a well-respected poet. It was he who would bestow his beloved with the nickname Gala. Teenagers deeply in love, they were discharged from the sanatorium in 1914, but were forced to go their separate ways, with Eugène retiring to France and Elena back to Russia. Yet they pledged their lives to one another, and by 1917, they married. Their only child, a girl named Cécile, was born a year later. By this point in their young lives, Gala wasn't the only one moving about under a pseudonym. Her new husband adopted one too, becoming, indeed, the poet Paul Eluard. After serving in World War I, Eluard was ready to make a splash in the literary world, and Gala, ever his supportive muse, was there to help. When another writer suggested that Eluard meet a like-minded group of up-and-coming thinkers who just happened to have begun their own literary journal, it felt like fate. In one fell swoop, Eluard met the leaders of the burgeoning French Surrealist movement, Louis Aragon, Philippe Soupeau, and André Breton. Together, the four writers just fit. Scarred by the war, they rejected much of the expectations of the bourgeoisie, instead finding comfort in the lack of constraints and sometimes even the lack of money. Freedom, expressed through dreams and word associations, was the answer and the newly named Gala was drawn up into this world as equally as her husband. And she could keep up. She was smart, feisty, had an innate knowledge of what would make a good poem, a good story, or a good work of art. She was also very determined, and that forcefulness of personality became one of her most memorable characteristics, with folks like André Breton claiming it as a destructive, even demonic force. Gala and Eluard had a very progressive marriage, with both parties seeking affections and attentions outside of their marriage. And, spiciness alert, the couple even engaged in a menage a trois for three years with their fellow surrealist icon, Max Ernst. But in the late 1920s, Gala was bored, perhaps, and she was ready for something new. After all, she had been Eluard's muse for 15 years at this point. She may not have known it, but she was ready to become someone else's inspiration. And she met that someone else in 1929. Coming up next, it is love at first sight, right after these quick messages. Thanks for listening.
require a few things to get myself started in the morning. I need a little bit of quiet time to myself, a nice hot cup of coffee, and a shot of Magic Mind. But okay, so what is Magic Mind, you ask? It is this little elixir that's designed to provide sustainable energy and focus, but it doesn't have the jitters and crashes that you might expect after you have one too many cups of coffee. I drink one small shot of this productivity drink that's filled with brain-boosting ingredients, and it leaves me feeling clear-headed and ready to hustle. Magic Mind contains 12 functional ingredients, including matcha, which is one of my favorites, alongside nootropics that can help you focus, and adaptogens that help you ward off stress. Magic Mind was created by James Bashara, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur who has transformed this little shot into the Valley's must-have morning elixir. And I get the hype because I feel better when I start my day with Magic Mind. If you're a creator like me and you need that little extra productivity and focus, and you're looking for an easier way to get into that flow state, you should try Magic Mind. And you've got nothing to lose. With their money-back guarantee, any first purchase will be refunded, no questions asked, if it doesn't meet your expectations. So try it today. Go to magicmind.co slash artcurious and use discount code artcurious to get 20% off today. Magic Mind is your best choice when it comes to getting more done in less time through your once-daily magic elixir. Go to magicmind.co slash artcurious and use code artcurious at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. I begin my day every day with a cup of wonderful coffee. But actually, I need to back it up further because I take AG1 by Athletic Greens every morning before my first cup of coffee. Longtime listeners know that my health is important to me, and I do what I can to optimize my health and energy. But traditional vitamins, in pill form, are no fun and they kind of bore me. I wanted something that tasted good and kept me going. So what is AG1? With one delicious scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports everything from your gut health to your nervous system, your energy, focus, aging, and recovery, all the things. It is great, and now my family keeps asking if they can have their own serving of AG1 in the morning. Athletic Greens is the one thing with all the best things. It uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover, and it cost him over $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to have an optimal nutrition routine all on your own. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can take the opinions of others, because Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It is just one scoop in a cup of water every day, and that is it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com artcurious. Again, that is athleticgreens.com artcurious to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. 
Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome back to Our Curious. Gala accompanied Paul Eluard on a trip to Spain in 1929, alongside fellow surrealist René Magritte and Magritte's wife Georgette. Part of the reason for the visit was that Eluard was hoping to talk some sense into his friend, a fellow artist who was going through a bit of a rough time, to put it lightly. Salvador Dali, a 25-year-old painter from Figueres, Spain, had begun receiving a smattering of attention for his precisely drawn, strangely dreamlike images that inspired anxiety and confusion in many contemporary viewers. He was unique among those following in the surrealist mode, and his star was, oh so slowly, on the rise. And to capitalize on that slow-going recognition, his gallerists and art dealers were clamoring for him to complete canvases for potential sale. But Dolly wasn't having any of it. He was mentally breaking down, refusing to speak, and laughing hysterically at any given moment. Eluar and Magritte, it seems, were visiting Spain to try to help. They couldn't find a way to quell the nerves of the lunatic painter. But then Gala walked through the door, and everything changed. According to Gala's biographer, journalist Tim McGurk, the group noticed the vibe and came up with a plan. As McGurk writes, quote, If Dali was so besotted by Gala, perhaps she alone could help him. And she did. Dali got back to painting, and Gala, 10 years older than he, remained at his side. Writers like Tim McGurk and Nina Sophia Moral from the Paris Review rightly interpret their tellings of the meeting of Gala and Dali to caution us a little too much as readers from getting too gushy about their romantic tale. Yes, the pair fell in love, but Gala gave up her entire life, including basically abandoning her young daughter, her only child, in order to move into her new love's shack with no running water, no heat, and no electricity. Her life with Eluard had been prosperous, luxurious even, but not so with Dali, or at least not when she first met him. But all of that would change with time, and mostly with Gala's intense efforts at promoting her husband's work and supporting his artistic legacy. As with Paul Eluard and several of the other surrealists, Gala became Salvador Dali's muse and model, becoming an ever-increasing subject in his paintings as the years passed. She was, in some ways, his most recurring motif. There is Gala, nude from behind, her spine the focal point of the canvas. There she is, again, dressed in a button-down shirt with one breast incongruously dangling out. In Galatea of the Spheres, her face is constructed from a mass of unconnected spheres with the title a reference to both the model herself and to the virtuous nymph brought to life by the sculptor Pygmalion in Greek mythology. She's even portrayed a couple of times as the Virgin Mary in paintings like the Madonna of Port Yacht from 1949. That Dali chose her as the model for Mary, that holiest of mothers, is an interesting insight, perhaps, into their relationship. 
Gala, by all accounts, was a terrible mother to her daughter, even before Gala abandoned Cecile and Eluard for Dali. But, in many ways, she transferred over any maternal affection that she may have felt, or perhaps should have felt, to Dali. She was not only the artist's muse, but she was also his caretaker, dressing him, cooking for him, shopping for him. She oversaw his life, and though it was and is not a rarity for women to do these kind of domestic tasks for their partners, especially in a heteronormative relationship in the 1930s, Gala became everything to Dali. She became the central person in his life. Perhaps the most interesting role that Gala undertook, and Gala, by the way, who would officially become Gala Dali after the couple married in a civil ceremony in 1934, was as Dali's manager. Beginning around 1937, she began doing everything from shuttling her husband's work around to local galleries to managing his contracts, negotiating with dealers, and finding new patrons. And it worked. Smart and savvy, she convinced Dali that they should move to the U.S. to capitalize on the young nation's growing riches. She suggested subject matter that would be marketable to a wider audience. She battled aggressively to make sure that Dali received the best commissions, the greatest recognition, and the highest sales. And she promoted him every step of the way. And she made enemies every step of the way, too. It would be easy to dismiss that statement as a misogynistic side effect of being a strong, assertive woman in mid-century Europe and North America. But truly, Gala Dali was not the most lovable person in the world. She was distrustful of most people and had a particular distaste for other women, whom she normally wouldn't respect. McGurk's biography, which is titled Wicked Lady, is full of truly awful stories about Gala's temper and misbehavior. If she disliked the look on someone's face, she would spit right at them. If someone was speaking too much or speaking ill of her, she'd viciously stub her cigarette out on their arm. Around Paris, she was given the nickname of Gala La Galle, with La Galle translating in French to scab, a way to reference a particularly spiteful person. And in an eye-opening 1998 article in Vanity Fair magazine, British art historian and the former vice president of Dali's gallery, John Richardson, called Gala rat-like, a bully, a demonic dominatrix, an authentically Saudian monster, referring to the infamous Marquis de Sade, and a scarlet woman. So, yeah, Gala was not well-loved. But Salvador Dali loved her, and perhaps that was what truly mattered. Not that their relationship was perfect by any means, though no relationship is, of course. For nearly the entirety of her adult life, Gala was known to have an irrepressible sex drive, an insatiable desire for men, especially men who were younger than she was. By the mid-1950s, Gala was devoting more and more time to a series of short-term relationships and dalliances while Dali whiled away painting in his studio. Some said that Dali helped her initiate relationships, as he was a voyeur enticed by the concept of her engaging in sexual relationships with other men. And that may very well have been true, although I don't imagine that Gala needed any help in initiation, but that's just a guess. 
And to be sure, Dali's sexuality is a big ol' knot that isn't the easiest to untangle. He seemed to have some anxiety, even phobias, surrounding women, especially women's anatomy. And he would later claim Gala as his only, quote-unquote, full sexual partner. Ultimately, though, their partnership seemed, for the most part, to have worked, especially for the first few decades, with Dali once writing, quote, I would polish Gala to make her shine, make her the happiest possible, caring for her more than myself, because without her, it would all end. They solidified their union by marrying for a second time, this time in a religious ceremony in 1958. Gala and Salvador Dali's good times could not last forever, though. And the rest of the story is coming up right after this break. Come right back. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Right now, burnout is a really big thing. I feel like a lot of people I know are suffering from it. And for me, burnout manifests itself in days where all I want to do is just lie in bed and watch Netflix for hours. Does that ever happen to you? Please say yes. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, and more. We normally associate burnout with work, but that is not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feeling burnt out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. And talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. I've used BetterHelp to connect with a therapist in less than 24 hours, and it was so nice to be able to begin talking via phone or chat right away. There was no waiting, no traveling, no sitting awkwardly in an office. And just knowing that my counselor was there for me in whatever way I was comfortable with reaching out, it was truly a priceless experience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp at betterhelp.com artcurious. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash artcurious. It's important to me to make sure that I'm eating well and getting the right nutrients for my body so that I can keep feeling my very best and, of course, help keep this show moving along hummingly. But I've taken vitamins before with hopes of improvement to my health, and I feel like I haven't gotten much out of them. And that's probably because vitamins aren't real food. But GEM is. GEM is the first real food, whole food multivitamin. GEM Daily Essentials come in these little bite-sized cubes that provide a comprehensive blend of over 15 superfoods, botanicals, probiotics, vitamins, minerals, and more, all concentrated into one tasty little bite made from 100% real food ingredients. Finally, vitamins that are real food. The Gem Bite is your first true non-synthetic multivitamin alternative, featuring only plant ingredients and delivering over 15 key vitamins, minerals, and herbs for your energy, mood, focus, and beauty. It's all of your daily nutrition needs in one little bite. 
Gem is not synthetic. It is real food that is fully absorbed into your body for maximum bioavailability and that's made to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. And it isn't a pill either, so it's perfect for anyone who has difficulty swallowing pills. And did I mention my favorite part? They are really delicious. You can choose from an array of tasty flavors that best fit your preferences. Mine, for example, is citrus ginger, but I am also eager to try their lemon raspberry flavor. It's just another choice that makes getting my nutrition easy and delightful. It is your perfect daily nutrition partner. And you can now get 30% off your first order when you go to dailygem.co slash curious. That's dailygem, gem is G-E-M, dot co slash curious to get 30% off your first order. Dailygem.co slash curious. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Art Curious. For all the good that Gala did for Salvador Dali's career, she did cause some problems, too. Beginning in the 1960s, it has been alleged that Gala forced her husband to sign blank canvases, which she then passed along to forgers for completion before selling them as 100% Salvador Dali originals. Some also take these allegations a step further by claiming that over a span of 20 years, Dali signed reams of lithograph paper for the same purpose, all of which has caused immense confusion and frustration in the secondary art market. How can you tell a Dali is a real Dali and not a forgery? It's hard to say. And whether or not Gala is to blame, and whether or not Dali himself was in on the con, are two questions that truly remain unanswered. And then, there's the money. Gala loved to gamble. And in the 1970s, she frequented underground casinos on visits to New York City, where she maintained, as Nina Sofia Moral writes, quote, something of a male harem, a perpetual parade of young lovers when she herself was well into her 80s. She spent lavishly and unabashedly on her lovers, too, providing one, a Broadway star then performing in the title role of Jesus Christ Superstar, with a Long Island mansion and several authentic Salvador Dali works, a gift of which the artist was unaware until he was alerted to their upcoming sale at the auction house Christie's. So that's not great. As the 1980s dawned, neither Salvador nor Gala were faring well health-wise. At age 70, Dali retired from painting due to palsy, a Parkinson's-like affliction that kept him from maintaining a hold on his paintbrush. Gala, for her part, was growing senile. The spouses grew testy with one another, even coming to occasional blows, according to some. To treat his shaking hands, his growing depression, and a potential drug addiction, Gala often concocted these medical tinctures for him, which probably contained at least some amphetamines, which didn't help his health to improve. And in fact, it may have gone further to even cause some neural damage. But again, questions still remain. Was Gala conscious of doing this? Was she doing it on purpose? Was she trying to drug him? 
Some believe that her senility was a ruse, a way to couch her wish to make her frail husband listless and docile. And while it's hard to know for sure, that does also sort of read as another round of gala-hating or of gala-blaming. After all, that was a major pastime among those who knew Gala when she was alive. And even after her death following a severe case of the flu in 1982, she was still being dismissed as a demon bride, a woman who commercialized a great artist's work and made them worse, a money-grubbing, power-mad harpy. These are the actual kind of terms that have long been lobbed at Gala Dali. And I don't know that they are entirely fair. She was aggressive, yes. But aggression is typically only framed as negative when referring to a woman. Aggression in men is read instead as power and assertiveness. She managed her husband's art career because art is a business just like anything else. And she worked hard to make sure that Dali's paintings were known, were seen, and had an impact. Dali made the art, but Gala made Dali, transforming him over the span of half-century from a shack-dwelling, shell-shocked 20-something to a god of surrealism. A face as iconic and instantly recognizable, or even more so, than Frida Kahlo or Pablo Picasso. Without her, it's entirely possible that Dali, as we know him, would not have existed. And without her, at Gala's death at age 87, Dali, as we know him, didn't exist. At least, not in the same way. He stepped away from public life almost entirely, and friends reported that, in his grief, he stopped eating, scratched his face, and refused to allow anyone to speak her name. In short, as Tim McGurk notes, quote, After Gala's death, Dali lost his will to even live. But live he did for seven more years. He died on January 23, 1989, at the age of 84. I noted at the top of the episode that I knew little about Gala Dali prior to determining that I wanted to discuss her life as part of this season of Art Curious. And I still feel like I don't know that much about her. So much of her story, like so many others we've discussed this season, has been shared secondhand. And people seem to either love or hate Gala, with most, it seems, falling on the latter side than the former. And I confess that I feel conflicted about her too. I love that she was a woman who went after what she wanted without hesitation and without excuses, whether it be a patron for her husband or a lover 50 years her junior. She was, if you can excuse my language, an original badass bitch. But it is also hard to dismiss her utter hatred of motherhood and her abandonment of her daughter. And much as I hate to judge her, I still feel like I do a little bit. And the whole stubbing your cigarette on someone's arm thing, yeah, I can't forget that one either. Ultimately, Gala's story is one that reminds me of humanity at its most human. Gala was good. Gala was bad. Gala was a positive influence on her famous husband. Gala was a terrible affliction on her famous husband. Gala was all the things, all the time, all at once. We all are, aren't we? But if there's one thing we might know for sure, it's that she had an impact on modern art in a way that few truly have. She gave us one of art's most iconic 
and iconoclastic figures. And it is to Salvador Dali that I will give the last word today. Declaring his wife's importance in his life, he once noted, quote, I love her more than my mother, more than my father, more than Picasso, and even more than money. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. And huge thanks to Mary Beth Soya for her awesome research for this episode and almost all of the episodes for the season. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. And our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Our podcast is co-produced by Kabunki, podcasts, creative video, and more. Subscribe to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at subgenrepodcast.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. You can find us on all the socials at Art Curious Pod, and you can also find us now on YouTube. Follow our links on our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. Check back with us in two weeks as we continue to explore the women behind the scenes of the unexpected, the slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. Thank you.